HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway. We've got a great show for you with a great guest who's on the line right now. Um, we wanted to start off, though, the segment uh, with a, a new segment, that is, and uh, talking about a trending topic in food and media. And I've actually seen this trend over the last month or so. Maybe you have, too, if you're on Instagram or any, any kind of social media um, these days. But it is... More and more rainbow-colored food. Um, it kind of started with, um, about a month ago, there was a viral video about the bagel, uh, what is it called, the bagel store in Williamsburg, and um, they had this special rainbow-colored bagel. It went viral. Uh, people were lining up at this bagel store to get this really swirly, rainbow-colored, food-coloring, of course, uh, adult bagel, and uh, so much so that the store had to close down for about 10 days. Um, but in the last week or so, I've seen uh, a bagel, I mean, not a bagel, it was a grilled cheese from a Hong Kong shop that was rainbow colored, thanks to food coloring, and then also a rainbow colored pizza. And um, I'm starting to see like recipes going around, like how to make rainbow colored foods at home using, you know, of course, food coloring um, are the key ingredients to to mastering this technique, which is not really so much a technique as it is a way to get, um, you know, kind of likes and shares around when you Instagram it, ultimately. Um, I think, you know, this is a lot of people are looking at this as sort of harmless and silly and maybe just fun for to do once in a while. Um, well, that's all fair. I'm curious what everyone else thinks out there who's sort of um, into food, especially now that we're seeing um, more and more farms come out with their spring produce. Um to me, there's something a little disconcerting about the idea of home cooks making these food coloring adult uh, dishes 
when there's so many great farms out there who are like doing making a lot of sacrifices to to grow specialty heirloom produce that is um, pretty eye catching naturally. And uh, you know, I hate to think that folks are kind of neglecting that. Um, in favor of food coloring. So I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm just being a little too sensitive here. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. So tweet to me about hashtag rainbow colored foods at Kathy Airway on Twitter. And uh, maybe we'll go from there. Maybe I'm not getting something too. So let, let's talk more about that one and see where it goes. Um, but to introduce my guest today, this is a really unique book I'm holding right now. It is a book of poetry, the first that I've had on the show, and it's called Receipt. It's by Karen Leona Anderson. She has an MFA from the Iowa Writers' Workshop. This is her second book of poetry, and she's on the line right now. Karen, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Kathy. I'm really interested in the rainbow-colored foods idea. Right? Uh, yeah. F- um, I have three little kids, so food coloring is a popular thing here. I mean, um, hmm. Yeah. It is. I mean, there's there's been, what, Easter eggs, you know, other sorts of crafts, arts and crafts that kind of falls under, but... I don't know, everyday eating? Eh. Yeah, I don't. They, they kind of bake their own things, and we never eat them. That it's not of, for eating, is Lots it? of red food coloring, right? And then you're like, okay, I think we're just, that's going to go in the compost. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, different purposes. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But um, let's talk about this wonderful book of poetry. Um, Karen, your poems are so succinct, and I wondered if you might want to choose a poem to read for us to kind of get, get things started off, or or we could do that after the break if you don't have one handy. But um, No, sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, I, I think that the one that is sort of best... Um, the best sort of out loud mm-hmm. is one called Rhubarb, which oh, um, is kind that. of yeah. anomalous in the first section of the, the book because many of the, the poems are based on recipes from historical mm-hmm. cookbooks. Um, and I, as I kind of crafted that first section of the book, I also wanted to have some uh, poems that were unrecipied that just were about foods that you kind of cook from memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this poem is based on my parents moving from the Midwest to the East Coast, um, from the same tiny Minnesota uh, small town, and feeling kind of homesick uh, in Connecticut, and um, making rhubarb sauce, which is a, uh, it's a, I know at least it's very popular in the Midwest, it's just rhubarb and yeah. sugar, you cook it, you pour it over toast. Nice. So, <laughs> so this is, that's the kind of background of this one. Great. Rhubarb. Unrecipied, unlooked up, and sudden in our yard. Pie plant as supper, the leather leaf stalk with sugar dipped up to taste from the old starred jar as if no parent were there, as if we had no plans, having never planted the plant but found it out back and odd at the cut, thready tipped with dirt, but it's done at the point, hot source the sauce, which should have been red, but is not on toast, the thick dry stalk surrendered to heat and the sweet made pulp and we deep pink. Thank you so much. That was Rhubarb by Karen Leona Anderson. Thanks so much for reading that aloud. Oh yeah, no, I'm very, very happy to do that. And very good timing too, because I just saw the first Rhubarb of the season at the market yesterday. Very it's exciting. exciting. <laughs> So, um, so you're mentioning this is one of the the few 
um, or at least in the first section of the book, one of the few poems that is uh, not um, a dedication to a certain cookbook, but this is yeah. sort of a standalone dedication to a ingredient, I guess you could say. Yeah. That's so lovely. You know what it reminds me of a little bit? Um, have you ever read uh, Pablo Neruda's Ode to the Artichoke? I, I have that printed out right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I just, I love his, his odes. And mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely is an ode to, to rhubarb. And so much of the um, the first section is really about the the kind of cultural knowledge around food and the ways that it's mediated by um, by writing and by thinking and by the, you know, the kind of systematic structures around us. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think that his poems do both of those things really beautifully, like just thinking about that last stanza of the poem where he says, This career of the armed vegetable, which is called an artichoke, then scale by scale we strip off the delicacy and eat the peaceful mush of its green heart. It's such a great, you know, just such a great close. And it's it's almost like, well, it makes us think deeply about each really unique ingredient, like rhubarb, artichoke, and so forth. Um, But it's also almost like personifying these ingredients, Mm. too. And um, I'm thinking more and more about rhubarb. It is a really odd bird when it comes to... I don't even know what it's called, a vegetable? Is it even a vegetable? <laughs> well, it's a stalk, right? I mean, it's not It's not the leaf, and it's not the fruit. No. Um, so I my guess. dad's a botanist, so, mm-hmm. you know, like, this, is, this is important to him. Um, but, yeah, it's an odd thing for us to eat, that piece of the plant. So, yeah, so I wanted to so, kind of highlight that, too. It's so inedible, too, when it's not yeah. cooked. Like, well, you know, we used to eat it raw, dip, but you had to dip it in sugar. And, it did, you know, your parents were always like, that's don't crazy. eat too much of that. You get a stomachache. But <laughs> that's crazy. It, it was kind of a... I've never tried that. I'll have to try that now. Now that I know that that's something you could do. It's just so sour. And... It's very sour, yeah, yeah. And I remember going to Thailand and, and, um, and taking a class where we went around a market, and the woman said that when she was a child, she would do that with green mango. And I ah. thought, oh, yeah, that's, this is this, this, and these intense flavors that kids love, right? Like, they're really sweet and they're right. really sour. It's kind of like um, you're eating it for that, like, shock value. Yeah. Like a, like a sour, uh, what, not Sour Patch Kid, but you know what I mean? Some of those. I do. No, it is Sour Patch yeah. Kid. I'm pretty sure, yeah, yeah. And and you just it just comes like that. Um, wow. So let's talk about some of these um, poems that are I, throughout. Um, you dedicate poems such as the last minute date raptures after Betty Crocker's picture cookbook in 1956. They're all kind of older cookbooks that you have here. Or gingerbread after American cookery from 1796. That's a historical cookbook. Um, or asparagus tips after mastering the art of French cooking. That's Julia Child's 1961 classic. This right. one is this one is pretty cool. Um, why did you decide to get inspired by cookbooks for your poetry? Thanks. Yeah, for asking that question. So I have it in front of me. Actually, this was mm-hmm. I had kind of a, a crisis after <laughs> my daughter was born. Um, I just. I was had been had always loved cooking. I'd found it so restorative and um, and just this wonderful creative thing. And I just started to hate it. I didn't I didn't want to think of what to cook. I didn't want to well, cook it. I didn't because... really want to eat it, and I didn't want to clean up after it. 
Is it because of of the new responsibilities now of having to cook for a family? That um... well, I mean, she wasn't really you know she wasn't really eating anything, so it was just about labor. I think Um. really just being tired and and having to kind of hold things together, and in other moments in my life that it's been less intense. So I I just was in this this just really um, sad place with cooking, and I started to think about my mother, who was an excellent cook and had two kids, and my grandmother, who was an excellent cook and had five kids, and I thought, okay, I've got to find some way to get back to actually wanting to do this in some way, and so... Um, I inherited my my grandmother's Betty Crocker picture picture cookbook from 1956. Mm-hmm. It's got a, like a it's binding is falling off, and you know mm-hmm. like all the pages are ripped out and covered in dough. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be the answer. And I started flipping through the book, and I come to this illustration of a little policeman, and he's shaking like a, gesturing with a ruler. And there's a little caption next to it that says. Um, measure those pans mm-hmm. and i thought okay we're in a, a totally weird world now and you did not answer my question at all about how to connect back to cooking in a an uncomplicated way but it definitely had had me enter this world of of discipline and perfection and um kind of you know these oppressive routines along with the spectacle and the pleasures the kind of gustatory pleasures of right. of Betty Crocker so you know from there i just started writing poems based on the recipes like hollywood dunk which is a celebrity recipe or those last minute date raptures um which are supposed to be like husband keeper kind mm-hmm. of cookies or bow yeah. catcher kind of cookies. And then and then it slowly widened out to include other cookbooks that had been either important in the history of cooking or kind of personally important to me, the Silver Palette or Moosewood or um, the Complete Cookbook for Men, which is very right. short, turns out. <laughs> <laughs> and just, to, you know, a really, that, that it became this idiosyncratic history of the last 75 years of cooking. Um, it, it made me realize how gendered um, earlier cookbooks were, and maybe they still are to a large they extent. They might be, yeah. To, sometimes I think I notice that um, mm-hmm. in, in contemporary cookbooks, too. And they say a lot more in, in so much um, because they are not just only helping you bake a certain dish or something. It's it's almost like um, a, a rule book or handbook for, for that domestic person at that time, um, or woman, I should say. Or men yeah. for the, the complete men's cookbook. <laughs> yeah, such an, I mean, and that that one has this preface where he argues that cooking is a male birthright, and it's sort of like take back cooking, you know, from women. Um, and the poem that I have in the book is basically a kind of found poem um, where he uses method acting to talk about how you would tell when a piece of meat is done. Mm-hmm. So this is such an interesting, you know, th- these discourses around gender and labor and domesticity are just, you know, there. They're just present. So, yeah, I and- found that fascinating i mean i find it fascinating also that in your poetry which is not very let's say it's not very obvious that it is about any cookbook um except for the little head note that you have at the beginning for each um it seems like you're you are exploring questions around um uh gender roles and um yeah feminine femininity in a modern world um is that a big focus of yours in your poetry overall absolutely i think that that's you know that's um 
where a lot of the, the the book came from in some ways really looking skeptically at the at the roles that I was playing in my own life and the things that I had sort of taken as givens about what I would be what I would be doing as a as a parent and as you know somebody who's working and but also somebody who really loves to cook and and want you know wanted to keep doing that in some way um, it yeah. also it also seems like there's a lot of questioning too um, yeah. throughout, and uh, you know I, I was reading um, just TV dinner, which you dedicated to the Food Network. I guess <laughs> yeah, it's sort of um, re or watching these programs and trying to um, trying to figure out how that should be manifested in life. And um, I'm I'm not really sure because throughout this, <laughs> actually throughout this poem, you you say I don't know, I'm not sure. <laughs> times right. too so um you know it, it closes with i'm not talking to you anymore static and spectral maybe not <laughs> right right and There's, i think that's it is that the one of the subtexts or, or the kind of sub narrative of the section of the book is a divorce right so mm-hmm. that didn't um, biographically happen to me but i'm sort of thinking about how we might step away from some of these ideas but it's it's a difficult thing to do um because uh, these, these ideas about gender are also really bound up in this activity that many women love, right? Mm-hmm. Many women get a lot of pleasure and sustenance from um, from cooking. And so there there can't be ever a kind of complete break, I think, uh, from that activity. So, yeah, yeah. It's... And that poem meditates a little bit on the move from, say, Julia Child to Rachel Ray and mm-hmm. Sandra Lee, right? Which are, those are quite different kinds of representations yes. of what cooking could mean. But at the same time, it was speaking to those, um, or for those domestic roles, just in right. a different time. It is fascinating um, what you can draw from from both older and modern media um, in yeah. food. It's really fascinating. Um, let's. We're going to cut to a quick little commercial break, and we'll be back, and we're going to give you a little quiz. If okay. you're ready for it. <laughs> okay. All right. Today's program was brought to you by Fire Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice, and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. To the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar, Fire Cider added whole raw certified organic oranges, lemons, onions, ginger, horseradish, habanero pepper, garlic, and turmeric. They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Firesider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Firesider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com.
The one and only Dave Arnold brings the noise to Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday on Cooking Issues. Coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. If the bomb was going to drop and you only had 15 minutes, which is like, I can, I can make a sandwich in 15 minutes. He would be eating a sandwich. I'd kiss my wife, make a sandwich. If you believe that it's all about to be over, why eat healthy? not a freaking Neanderthal. I like a tempered ice cream sandwich. But it's the only way to get around it if you're a party master because you, you're going to wind up, like your kitchen's going to fill with dishes. And Some is there... people have commercial dishwashers in their house. Who? I've seen them. Who? I've seen them. Who? <laughs> really rich people. <laughs> For more mile-a-minute knowledge from Dave and the crew, listen to Cooking Issues, available on Heritage Radio Network, iTunes, and Stitcher. All right, we're back on air with Karen Leona Anderson, and she's the the author of a new book of poetry called Receipt. Thanks so much for joining us again, Karen. Oh, thanks for having me. So um, uh, we're going to have a fun new little game. I hope it's fun. I really hope so. Um, <laughs> but I thought, I thought it would be neat to explore some other examples of food and poetry. Um, we talked a little bit about that, but... Um, you know, you you graduated. You have an MFA from Iowa, which is like the best um, school for poetry. You must be a sort of an expert on contemporary poetry, right? I I, uh, I, am, I read a lot of poetry. Um, I also did a, a dissertation um, at Cornell on on poetry and there science. You go. So I should be very good at this, but okay. I've got to warn you that I have a reputation in my family as the person who refuses to play Trivial Pursuit because uh-huh. I am so bad at memorizing things. Okay. So. okay. Well, we're going to put that <laughs> to the test. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's okay if you don't get this, but I thought it would be fun to try. So, um, you know, I have to name, I'm going to read an excerpt from a poem, and I'll give you three choices of the author. Okay, okay, okay Kathy, <clears throat> I do, since you warned me that we might be doing this, mm-hmm. I, have a, I also have a counter offer. Mm-hmm. Once you give me a question, I'm going to ask you um, a dish, and you can tell me which uh, cookbook it's from. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'll do it. Okay. All right. All right, so here we go. No smoking signs, raw mustard greens, zucchini by the ton, uncooked kale, and bodies frail. Are sure to make me run. Was that a poem by Rita Dove, Maya Angelou, or Beth Ann Fennelly? Uh, Maya Angelou. Yes, you're right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here's your question. Okay. That roast, was, by the way, canned. Okay. Ready? Roast canned chicken flambe with black cherries. Roast canned chicken flambe. Yeah. Okay. That... Flambe with black cherries. <laughs> Is it something by Sandra Lee? No, it's the Can Opener Cookbook from okay. 1951, which Ooh. is by Poppy Cannon, who was married to Walter White, and it's, that's a very interesting old cookbook. Yikes. But yeah, so Can Opener Cookbook. Wow, wow, flambe! Yeah. They were trying there. You could see they were really trying, trying yep. to do something with that canned chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for giving. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that was uh, just to mention the name of Maya Angelou's poem is called "The Hell Food Diner." Very funny poem about um, yeah. yeah her take on some some of these modern food trends, uh, if you will. I mean, people have been writing food, at least in metaphors, in poetry um, for I I don't know when I was like reading your book and kind of looking around for examples. It's something that comes up a lot. Um, oh do you, yeah, yeah. Do you know of anyone else who has sort of dedicated a book to uh, exploring this a little bit more as as well? 
One of my favorite writers and a huge influence um, on this book was Harriet Mullen, who wrote a book um, about moving through a supermarket um, and sort of meditates on each of the departments. It's mm-hmm. just, it's fantastic. She's an African-American writer who writes experimental poetry, and it's just, it's just great um, and really influential. I know the poet Kevin Young has done an anthology of, of, food, of poems about food that's really um, important, too, and, and really useful in kind of navigating contemporary poetry and food. Um, and Rita Dove actually as, mm-hmm. has food as, as part of a lot of her work. Really? So I didn't, I didn't know I that. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just use that as a, a wrong answer example. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's really fascinating. So um, was this something that you explored when you were studying uh, poetry? Is, has this always been sort of a, I don't know, um, a subject of yours? Or was it mostly after, as you mentioned, you know, having your daughter that um, you started thinking more about, you know, the roles of cookbooks and and food or what's your take on, you know, food in poetry? Food and poetry. I think. I think um, for me, there are kind of three big categories: the kind of sensual writing okay. about food that right. can happen sort of at any moment, right? Like the honey for mm. um, Virgil or something like that. But the, and you know that that crosses sort of all poetry and it's, it's sensual it's, details, right? Yeah, sort of sensual detail, sense-based detail. Um, but I also like when poets kind of drop food into the scene. And my favorite example of this is from the ancient Persian poet Rumi. Um, um, from this bo- this poem that's kind of commonly known as unmarked boxes, and he says, God's joy moves from unmarked box to unmarked box, from cell to cell, as rainwater down into flower bed, as roses up from the ground. Now it looks like a plate of rice and fish, now a cliff covered with vines, now a horse being saddled. It hides within these till one day it cracks them open. And so I think of food that way, as this mm-hmm. thing that sort of can crack the world open. Um, when I was doing research for this particular book, I went back um, to the histories of Betty Crocker, right? Like, she's, mm-hmm. not, she's not a real person, she's, she's, but she's someone to whom lots of people um, wrote as if she was a real person, and people played her on the radio. Um, and they, the corporate website now has a kind of excerpt of the favorite letters that were written to Betty Crocker. Um, mm. And there's one from Mrs. Ernest Hemingway in 1954 wow. from Kenya, where she says, we're on safari in Africa. How the women who live on remote farms in Kenya find the time and energy to devote to the finer points of baking while dealing with invading lions, leopards, and locust plagues is remarkable. But they complain that the lightness and texture of the cakes they bake need improvement. The flour here is simply ground wheat, not fine or white, as the general knows softest old cake flour. Could you possibly tell us, if it's not a trade secret, what might be done to improve the quality of the Kenya flour? Your assistance would be extremely welcome for both its intrinsic value and as a gesture of American kindness. Mm. And so I think about your post on food and racism. I think about your podcast on Calvin Trillin's poem. And, you know, here is like the history of colonialism, the history of imperialism, the history of gender relations, um, a kind of implicit history of race, right, in this, this letter um, wow. about food, about flour, right? So I just, I think it's, it cracked the world open for me in right. really important ways. And it is interesting to see, I, I don't, I don't really know so much about um, more male food writing um, when it comes, I'm sorry, when it comes to poetry. Um, and, and 
I'm curious about if there's any, like, really, I don't know if we can make any, like, kind of, like, summarize any differences between the two, um, like, female writing when it comes, or the approach in, in poetry. Um, am I making any sense right here? <laughs> like, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, Kevin Young has been the champion of mm-hmm. um, of food poetry in the United States most recently. But, I, yeah, I think that that would be a really interesting study to undertake yeah. to think about it because certainly there's a really those those roles are still really really divided and um when i think about the book uh um the newest pollen book about cooking mm-hmm. i think yes and then i also think okay what does this look like on the ground you know what mm-hmm. does this look like in the in the actual kitchen, like who's doing the labor and right. how is that happening? And those are questions that obsess me kind of as a person living in the world, but also as a kind of thinker about about how food works. Right. It does make me wonder. And I and it, we see that a little bit in fiction, too, the different ways food is used or employed by different yeah. genders. Um, so I, I wanted to I hope this isn't too um, silly, but I thought it would be fun to take to sort of play eat your words again and take um and i could read a random passage from one of your poems and see if you can identify it of <laughs> my <one>. own poem. <laughs> okay sure we'll see if you can um identify your own words let's say okay and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the context of it okay we hurdle against the corn hopelessly single unsingular kernels in the foil and that is the poem um, "Nature." It has had several titles. So nature. Oh, yes, um, that's the title of you it. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. the rest of the line is not all that hetero. So, <laughs> so this is thinking a little bit about monoculture, but also heteroculture. Yes, I love how towards um, the sort of latter um, half of the book, um, there's a lot of topics around nature and uh, sort of like deconstructing some of the recipes that we saw in the the beginning of the book, um, poems, um, you know, we're taking apart corn and, um, and, and, uh, just, yeah, a lot of the natural elements that you see in cooking. Um, so is that what this poem is sort of doing with, um, yeah, this, and this is also thinking about the urban rural divide, right? And the and the ways that um that we that we move from these different uh, throughout these different spaces. So this is kind of bookended um with a poem called First House about mm-hmm. um about buying a house and what that looks like in relationship to the natural world. So, yeah, I was because my dad is a biologist, so I'm a and the combination of a linguist mother and a biologist father. Um I I've always had that kind of consciousness of mm-hmm. wh- where are we in terms of place and that seems to me like a wonderful development in thinking about food right like that if we're thinking about the social elements of food that we've gotten much more interested and smarter about the ways that it impacts uh the environment right so the, yeah but- so these poems in in the end are a little bit about the labor economy like the broader kind of national labor labor economy but also that question of moving through a landscape um and this is i use the dc metro because we live about two hours south of that and about the experience of kind of passing through Uh those uh those liminal spaces right and and we're so separated nowadays even though yes you mentioned we're like becoming more aware of our food system but at the same time we're we're very separate from it um unless unless you have 
you know, a self-sufficient garden of some sort. Um, right. But yeah, it's um, it, it's so it's so fascinating how many topics you cover. I also want to mention I really enjoyed the the sort of middle section where you have all these little shopping uh, related poems, um, like little yeah. black dress forty nine ninety nine at Nordstrom. <laughs> After Lori, which Coleman. is a great deal, mm-hmm. really, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how is that dedicated to Lori Colwin? Is is a great author, by the way. Um, I'm yeah. a huge fan of hers. Uh, Home cooking was kind of like her um, her her most famous collection, I think, of of essays. Right. And um, so, how did that? Uh, how did she influence the little black dress poem? Oh, okay. So she said that chicken salad is the little black dress. Oh, that's food. right. Or oh something, you know, something close to that. So you, there right. was those, those two things were connected. So, um, so that just sort of <laughs> got me thinking in that section, uh, you know, a connection between the food stuff and this unshop thing, right? Because it was all just different forms of consuming um, in one way or another that I wanted to be pointing to in that moment and, you know, what was behind that. That is um, so great. Yeah. Really yeah. Great. Chicken great salad is the little black, black dress. Um, uh, and, and Right. <laughs> So you and, could dress it up, you know, this right. way or that way. I think was the idea. You could add things to it to make it taste different kinds of ways. But I was thinking about this in that poem. I'm trying to think about the basic, you know, the, mm-hmm. buying this kind of basic thing that you you supposedly can dress up lots of different ways. But, of course, it never quite works out that way. So. And it's always people, something you have to have. Like every every, you know, every good woman's got to have these staples down pat mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. Right can never have too much too many right. little black dresses in your closet so that's so right so this one this thing that you're only supposed to have one of you end up having 10 of and that's the, you know sort of part of that that logic of consumption wow well karen thank you so much for this really really exciting cookbook i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> don't cook book from this book. one please <laughs> I can't imagine what that would be like. I might to try, actually. I'll, I'll let you know. Um, but thank you so much for sharing some time to talk about this wonderful book of poetry. Um, it looks like that's all about all the time we have for today. But I definitely check out Receipt Poems by Carole- Karen Leona Anderson. Um, and do you have a website you want to shout out, Karen? Sure. It's just www.karenleonaanderson.com. So. Really looking forward to more from you, too. So... We'll keep posted on um, any uh, future cook. Um, <laughs> I keep saying cookbooks, but any, I know any poetry. I, just, I, I really it's... don't recommend many of the recipes in here. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me on the show, Kathy. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being the first poet on this show. Oh yeah. And uh, thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions at any time at info at heritage radio network.org heritage radio network is a non-profit organization to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening